Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Hey, it's Marcus here. And before we get started on this week's episode, the 99th episode of Recruiting Trailblazers, just wanted to check that we're connected on LinkedIn. If we're not, please send me a connection request and mention the podcast. And of course, I'll accept it. And I do make time to speak to listeners of the podcast every single week. So if you're interested in having a chat or you need my help solving a problem, um, if you just want to say hi, I'm open to that as well. So Thanks a lot and enjoy this week's episode with Nate Guzia. It's a good one. Okay, I'm very excited to welcome my guest this week to Recruiting Trailblazers. Nate Guzia is the co-founder of Before You Apply, a content platform and creative studio that specializes in helping companies give candidates an insider's look into their teams and culture. Before You Apply has special expertise creating content for highly technical audiences in extremely competitive markets that helps companies and talent teams hire fast. So welcome to the podcast, Nate Guzia. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. great to get you on the podcast finally. I've, I've been sort of stalking you online for years because uh, you, you post some very interesting stuff on LinkedIn. So thanks a lot for coming along to the podcast today, Nate. You're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate yeah. it. Excellent. So let's sort of frame this first part of the conversation about employer branding, um, because that's really sort of going to lead into how, you know, your value proposition is expressed. Um, But under the banner of recruitment marketing, employer branding has been in the corporate domain for the longest time. And and we're going to get into some of the problems and how things are changing. But can you first sort of give us an overview of what traditional employer branding looks like and you know, historically how it's been tackled? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like, you, you know, just to kind of frame up employer branding, like what, what it even is, is I think it's the, the perception from either an employee or an external candidate market. Um, it's the perception of what it's like to work at your company. Um, I think the most important thing to, for anybody to understand is that, is that that perception exists regardless of what you do about it. And I think the, uh, the act of employer branding itself is an attempt to influence that perception. Um, right. It, influence is not a negative term. It's just a term. Um, and, and I think like what, when it's applied within this context, it just means to like have some intentionality and some direction behind it. Um, I think um, historically, uh, many companies have kind of just left that up to either chance or word of mouth or, you know, anything. It's kind of just been like the recruiting team does its thing and we're going to put all of our focus and attention and budget into revenue generating activities and marketing our, ourselves, our company, our product, our service to the people who pay us money. Um, and then, you know, what we've seen, you know, especially over like the last maybe five years, um, is this like uptick in awareness around, well, recruiting is really, really hard. Uh, we need to be marketing ourselves to candidates. People are starting to pay more attention to it. And that's kind of like where employer branding 
you know, the direction employee branding is going in. And that's why it's kind of become this like known term, whereas like even uh, a couple of years ago, some people didn't even know what the hell it was. But, um, you know, it's lived in the corporate domain, like you said, for, you know, for most of the time. And that's because, you know, you have big enterprise level companies with, uh, you know, with actual functions that are built out who manage the stuff and they have like budgets to put behind it and things like that. But like, you know, either like, you know, mid mid to early stage companies just like haven't had the resource or the, or even like the awareness to focus on it. And like, now we're finally starting to see that. So that's usually, that's like the area that I focus on most is, uh, you know, mid to early stage companies and how they brand themselves even better than like the big companies who have all the fancy budgets and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, recruitment marketing is kind of a newish term and employer branding is kind of a, a newish term because I think, you know, sort of CEOs traditionally thought, we, we don't need to market ourselves to employees. We need to market ourselves to customers. And then, you know, employees will sort of, by virtue of that, employees can sort of research the company and what we do and make their own minds up. But it's become a lot more intentional now and a lot more important than just leaving it in just in the hands of the recruiters and the first conversations they have with candidates. Because traditionally, that's how it was done. You know, I, as a recruiter, would call up a candidate and basically become a brand ambassador for the company that I was looking to recruit for and, you know, tell them all the great things about working in that company and they would have to take my word for it. But now, you know, it's just become a much bigger, it's a behemoth of a sort of an initiative within a lot of companies, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think it's, uh, it's still very much in its, like in its infancy. Um, you know, it, it like you, you, I don't know, you mentioned kind of following my stuff for, for a while. And I think that's where a lot of my opinions are, are is like, calling out kind of like how this, you know, branding or talent acquisition or whatever, how it's like, it's lagging really, really far behind marketing. Yeah, because it is in its infancy. And so people are still trying to sort of figure it out um, and figure out the ROI, which to us recruiters seems extremely obvious because recruitment is such an inherent part of the growth engine of any company. Um, But what do you think are some of the sort of inherent problems with this traditional approach to branding or what what corporations are doing now from a sort of a big marketing perspective to try and get their brand out there and as it relates to recruitment yeah i i think that um there's been this very traditional mindset around employer branding that is like filtered its way down to just become like generally adopted as the way you do this stuff uh you know it's like it's very conservative it's uh, like very vanilla, lacking opinion, lacking character and personality. And it's based on this foundation of this long drawn out process of, you know, they call it like an employer value proposition. And it's one of the things that like I dislike most about the entire industry. Um, what the word employ or the phrase EVP? E- the phrase EVP and even the process of it. I don't, I don't think it's even necessary. And, and granted, I mean, I think like a qualifier for that opinion is that um, I used to be part of an agency that did and still does EVPs and I, and I sold EVPs and I was part of those projects. And so I've gotten to like do them, sell them, be part of them, whatever it is, you know, and like I've, I've come to this point where like I don't think it's I don't think that level of work is necessary in order for you to market successfully to a candidate audience. Um I think it takes a very long time 
It uh, costs a lot, a lot of money. I think it's a way for agencies and consultants to make a lot of money. And the deliverable at the end is usually, usually sits on a shelf and doesn't result in like anything meaningful. Um, my, my whole thing has been like, how can you like skip all that and produce, produce like content or distribute relevant information to drive people to your company or actually drive them away from your company um, without having to like spend a lot of money and go through this big process. So that's kind of like big my, uh, that's been my soapbox for quite a while. That's kind of how I found you um, through your postings about this on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, we're going to get into what you guys do before you apply, because I think it's, it's really important work that you're doing, but getting back to EVP for a minute, let me just sort of take a counter, um, opinion on this, which is like, don't you think that companies need to define their own culture and decide on, you know, on mission and values and stuff and how they're going to sort of propagate that throughout the organization that they're running so that the word does get out. Um, you know, culture's become a very, very important part of the way recruiters frame opportunities. I've always said that culture is the biggest mover of people. I don't think people, I agree with that statement, which is a bit of a cliche now, which is people don't leave companies, they leave bosses and bosses, you know, they, they are the culture of the organization, aren't they? So um, I think in some ways, EVP, although it does sound like, you know, it's a technical term, but what it really means is, is what's the culture of your organization? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely think, I think culture closes. So um, I don't think culture attracts. I think it closes because if we're talking about attraction, right? Like what, what is going to, what is going to attract a person to a company? There's only so much that you can market from a cultural standpoint, because nowadays yeah, most companies have about the 10, 10 same words on their career site that talk about their values and like who they are. They more or less all look the same. They more or less offer all the same benefits. And if we're talking about compensation, especially with like highly competitive talent, it's just a game of who can pay more. And so the differentiators at the top of the funnel are different than what is ultimately going to close somebody. And I think that a company's culture will ultimately get a candidate turn a candidate into an employee um, when other things are more or less the same. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think people are having to take a much more intentional look at what culture is and what the culture of their company is. And that comes, it's a, it's a top-down sort of philosophy, isn't it? You've got to have the leaders behaving in a certain way. So it trickles down and everybody else embraces that. But I've always thought of culture and I've said this before on the podcast is basically the way people treat each other in that organization and how people feel about their work they're doing when they wake up in the morning. And, and I think if you're treated extremely well and you're as inspired, developed, empowered and appreciated, um, then you're working for a company that's going to be hard to leave because then it might be out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, okay. So I think that there's, I think there's a lot of value of doing some kind of internal work to, I don't know, get, get a level of like alignment or to package up your culture. Yeah. But I don't think it's necessary to market externally because I don't think marketing that externally is really things that like people care that much about when it comes to deciding if they want to have a conversation with a recruiter about a new opportunity. I just think there's, I just think they care about different information when they're going like, I get 
10 emails a day. And like, how am I going to, how am I going to cut through the shit to like understand if this is worth my time or not? And it's definitely not going to be some fluffy culture talk, which is the vast, in my opinion, the vast majority of employer branding is just nothing but like fluffy culture talk. That is just like nonsense. And like, and, and it's why, like when I talk to people who are not, who are not part of this industry, they roll their eyes at it. They roll their eyes at employer branding. They're just like, yeah, that's some like cute stuff that sits over there that like, okay, go have it. Go talk about your culture stuff, whatever, you know, and it's fine. But like, it's it's not like largely or, or widely respected. And it's because it's viewed that way. And, and that's why like, I try to like push this idea of just like this different approach that is much more aligned with like, consumer marketing than it is employer branding. And like, I think like as a result, like honestly, at least like from what I've kind of heard is that the traditional employer branding industry, like really doesn't like me very much because of like the things that like I talk about or the things that like I say that you shouldn't be doing, but I guess that's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, you're giving an inside out view of an organization through before you apply. It's almost like you're pulling back the curtain and showing the wizard of Oz you know, and it is, uh, it's a much different way of doing things than we've traditionally done. But I mean, these days candidates are spoiled for choice and, and you just used the word consume. They consume jobs in the same way as they evaluate any major purchase. You know, they get online and they basically see what they can find out. So in order to intercept that research, don't you think that there are parts of a corporate branding strategy that are still relevant in terms of stuff like, you know, their digital footprint through content and job postings and social media and, and even events. I mean, that stuff still does bear relevancy when people are doing their due diligence on your organization, don't you think? Oh, for sure. That, I mean, there, there's, I, I think like, okay, here, here, hold on. I'm going to take a step back. The other reality when it comes to, let's just call it employer branding or talent market. I've never really actually know what to call it, but, um, the, the, the reality is, is that at most companies until, at least until they get to like a pretty large size, um, they don't have somebody to, to run this initiative full time. It's just not how it works. So, so an employer brand person doesn't exist at, at a lot of companies. Instead, what it, what actually exists is it falls on the plate of a head of talent or a head of people who was also juggling what feels like a hundred different things. And so they can't put a lot of focus or effort into it. Right. Um, and so you got to like look at ways that you can like actually get the best job done with like a fraction of the time and money. And so, so that's why I, I think like content, the distribution of information is actually everything. It's just as a matter of like, what is that information and, and where do you put it? Because what you want to create is you want to create as close to a consumer buying experience as you possibly can. And I think like what people don't real what well, they don't, they don't stop and think about the fact of like, okay, when I, when I, as an individual, as a person, I want to go make a buying decision. What is my behavior? Because for some reason they think like when they go and they get in their like professional seat and they put that professional hat on that suddenly like behavior is different. And it's like, it's, it's not, it's exactly the same. And so if you just go like, okay, how do I, how do I operate when I want to go start making buying decisions? You're looking for evidence. 
Yeah. Like, how do I find out about new things? Where do I discover them? How do I learn about them? Like, where do I go for deeper dives? And then what does it take for me to actually like raise my hand and say, like, I want to talk to a human. And that's the thing is like in consumer marketing, done a great job of removing the human out of it. And I think that that now applies in recruiting is like, okay, how can I get my, myself as far down this like funnel this in, of information as I possibly can until I raise my hand and go, I want to talk to a human because by the time, because if I, if I raise my hand and talk to this human, this recruiter, I know it's going to be worth my time. It's going to be a productive conversation for everybody. And I'm pretty bought in at that point. And I think that's what company, companies like do a terrible job at that. But that's the stuff I think about. Like I think about that stuff all the time is like, what information, where do you put it? So you think companies do a pretty bad job of creating like a positive digital footprint, so to speak? Yeah. Um, when candidates start to consider them as a potential employer, they just, you don't think they're just leaving enough breadcrumbs out there? Yeah, they're not because they're, because companies, companies, when it comes to, when it, when it comes to the employer branding side of things, they like to talk, they like to share the information that they think is important. They're not separating themselves and going, what is important to the audience that I'm trying to market to? I'll never forget this. I, I was on a call. I did this like I, every now and then, like I'll do these like AMAs, you know, where like a group of like people or whatever, like, they'll bring me in. They'll just like ask me a bunch of questions. And I was on a call with three employer brand people from like three really like well-known tech companies, like tech startups, like super like, you know, it was great. They're great companies. And they're like asking me about this stuff. And I'm telling them, I'm like, listen, you got to stop talking to your employees and you need to talk to candidates. You're not marketing to your employees. You're marketing to candidates. Like, because it, because it's so easy to send out a survey or talk to your employees and like get feedback from them. That's like easy. There's like no risk. There's no like, you don't have to get out of your comfort zone. But what you really need to be doing is like, hey, I'm attract, I'm trying to recruit software engineers. Well, what do software engineers care about when evaluating a new opportunity? I need to go talk to 20 or 50 software engineers and ask them what information they want when evaluating a new opportunity. And I need to take that feedback and I need to create content that maps to that. And I need to distribute it wherever they tell me they spend time online. Like that's the process that people need to take. They looked at me with like, like deer in the headlights. Like, what are you talking about? Why would like, and this is like where I start to get a little fired up because I'm like, that's what it takes. That's what you have to do. Why isn't anybody just going, well, what does my audience care about? And how do I give it to them wherever that, wherever they spend time? It's the backbone of any proper sort of sales transaction. And that is the understanding of the pain points that your potential audience are looking to sort of conquer. And it's the same way that, that I've always suggested recruiters behave when they first start talking to candidates. And I post about this a lot. Um, the whole concept that, you know, stop running roles by people before you know them. Um, get to know somebody's, and I say this every week, situation, aspirations, motivations and skills before you start running roles by them because you need to understand somebody and what they're looking for before you attempt to sort of solve a problem. And I think a lot of recruiters do it the other way. They try and solve problems before they understand problems. And I think what you're saying is the same here. Is like, let's get out there and figure out what kind of problems we could potentially solve for software engineers and then build and distribute content around that to sort of, 
you know, magnetize them towards our company, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And that's why I, I think like, also I, I've said this, uh, I've, I've put this in like posts a couple of times where kind of like I'm talking to recruiting teams and, and just telling them, nobody's going to do this for you. You got to go do it yourself. Because, uh, you know, I kind of talked about this a little, you know, a couple minutes ago, but you can't expect employer branding to, to do the right thing for recruiters. I, I just think like recruiters have very specific outcomes that they're optimizing for. And I think employer branding is, in a, is operating in a completely different world. And I, and I really want, I want recruiters to understand that like, this is what I, what I've just talked about is something that you can do at an individual level. Because we have, we have all of the tools and the capabilities available to us basically for free. And there's nobody who's talking to the target audience more than a recruiter. It's like you spend your days having conversations with the exact people that you need to be marketing to. And I think recruiters are like the unlock to this entire thing. And, uh, and, and I would love to see recruiters posting organically on LinkedIn talking to their target market because like you could distribute this type of information for free into an algorithm that loves organic content and you could become known and it's just like the whole thing can just like take off and you don't need anybody's permission to go and do it. No, you're absolutely right. And that's what I'm attempting to do at the moment and have been ever since I started this podcast. And I was just telling you before we started recording that, um, you know, I recently had a post go what must be viral because I had 300,000 people read it and, and th- several thousand likes, et cetera, which, you know, made me feel really good and, and famous for a minute or two. That is viral, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but we are going to get into that. We're going to get into the importance because you, you're a bit of a prolific content creator yourself, Nate, and we're going to get into, you know, what content creation really is a bit later in this conversation, but I did just want to sort of give you the opportunity here to say, well, thank you for describing what you see as some of the problems in this corporate approach to employer branding and recruitment marketing. And moving on from that, how does Before You Apply attempt to solve some of those problems? And what kind of transparency are you looking to achieve here? Yeah. Okay. So uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I was part of a, I was part of a creative agency an employer branding agency based in the Bay area, San Francisco, um, that works with like high growth Bay area tech companies. Um, you know, it was great. It was like, you know, like that's how I, I got to see like the inner workings of these companies and like how they think about this stuff. Um, and then, you know, we built my, my co-founder and I, uh, he, he had started that agency and we built before you apply inside the agency. And then, um, we spun it out as its own company and like our, our, our entire philosophy has always been how do you uh, how do you ungate information that has traditionally been held behind job interviews but mostly behind employment it's like things that the outside world really never gets to see or hear how can we move that to the top of the funnel with content so recruiters have very relevant information to distribute to candidates, whether it's in their outbound messaging or on social media. So candidates can get this like inside look literally before they apply. It's like why we call the company before you apply, but before they have a conversation. And so um, that's like our whole thing is like, how can we ask 
teams because we decided to focus at the team level instead of the company level. Because again, if we're talking about top of the funnel and relevancy, we just think it's like, it's more important for a candidate to know how the team thinks about problems they're solving, the product they're building, the team culture. We just think that's more important to them as a way to get them to like opt in. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And obviously it does expose, you know, or make transparent um, a part of the organization that you're not really privy to at the recruitment stage. Because look, I'm a recruiter and I always have been, and recruiters do an incredible job of becoming brand ambassadors. But of course, that's what we do because we are ultimately looking to represent those companies in the best light as we possibly can. And, you know, it's up to you to remain as authentic as you possibly can during that process. But it's harder for a recruiter to evidence that than it is what you're doing, which is really, well, you're pointing a camera in the direction of the people who are actually doing the job, not just the people who are sort of selling the idea of doing the job, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like we, you know, we interview, I mean, like we go in and like do the dirty work, like, you know, we interview senior leaders and, uh, and, you know, individual contributors and like, just like the people doing the work and we ask them really tough questions. Like what are some of the questions that we ask them? Yeah. I mean, what's your mission as as you get inside there behind the curtain? What are you trying to expose about their culture, about the way they work or their, their team spirit? I mean, what are your sort of mandates as you get in there? It is to get people. Okay. So there's a couple things um, here. I'll tell you one of my most favorite questions is, is fast forward two years and the business is dead. Why? Um, that's a really tough question to ask a senior leader. Yeah. Like what, like, Two years from now, this business failed. Why did it fail? That's really good content though. Wow. Getting somebody to talk for a couple minutes about like, here's the potential things that could fail, like in the company, you know, like as a candidate going in, that's really, that's really interesting. Or like, um, talk about like the, your, your most important non-financial metric and how do you measure it? It's a really tough question for people to answer, but it's also a really good question. We ask questions about financials and runway. We ask questions about compensation. We ask like uh, for, for, oh my gosh, for high growth companies, what do you fear losing most as you scale? You get some really cool answers. I mean, it sounds like you are asking extremely tough questions. I mean, there must be some sort of softballs in there as well, because if you ask me the question, you know, why is this company going to fail? I'd say, can you please ask me an easier question? <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes like that question gets vetoed. Sometimes companies really lean into it. Um, you, you know, there, there's questions like that. There's like, what are, what are red flags you look for in candidates? That's really helpful to know, like as a candidate, you know, it's like, it's all these things that like, honestly, companies are usually too afraid to either think about themselves or to market. And what we've learned is showing that side of a company. Now, granted, we balance that out with like creative questions about like, what's like, what are you changing about the world? You know, like we have some like other questions too that balance that out, but it's like, whoa, you, you just get a different feel for a company when you're like, wow, they're willing to answer these questions. Like that's yeah. super cool. It actually like, what it does is it either makes you like more attracted to them or it allows you to go like, Hey, this isn't for me, but still that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's but like, aren't you, I mean, this might be the wrong question to ask, but but isn't your job as a company who's looking to sort of represent brands to bring out the very best in that brand and to ask questions that allow them to sort of showcase how great they are? Now, not every company is great. 
And that was going to be another one of my questions in a minute. You know, what do you do with those companies? But, but isn't your job to really get a look on the inside and, and, and help them showcase, you know, how great a place it is to work? Um, let's see. Not necessarily. Um, our job is to help companies tell the right story. And by telling the right story, they will inevitably look better than other companies who, who don't know how to do it. It's like, we're not here. We're not here to like give people layups and let them talk about the same shit that everybody else talks about. We're here to, we're here to like help them talk about the things that nobody else is talking about. And we're experts at doing that. We're like, we're experts at like, at interviewing, especially technical teams. Um, we're experts at drawing out information, um, at like using prompts and cues to bring out the nuance. And like the other part of it too is like, you know, if you're talking to, you know, whenever we get to like, you know, talk to people, we're get they're getting to talk about the things that they don't get to express outside of work. You know, it's not like they go home and like sit at the dinner table and are able to talk about the nuances of, and the challenges of like product design, <laughs> like at home, you know, it's like nobody else knows what the hell they're talking about or like what they even do. It's like, these are, these are some of the things that they think about most and care about most. And our job is to help them express that and then package it up in a way that is easy to consume and easy to distribute. Um, and then from there, the market decides. What happens if they say something negative? Do you just delete that? If they say something like, uh, I if mean, they some, say something some, negative about the company, you know, accidentally or on purpose. If the, if perhaps you interview somebody who <laughs> who doesn't paint the company in a favorable light, yeah, do we delete that? Uh, that will usually get deleted in the review process because the, the because the the customer has has veto power. Um, I mean, like, you know, here's an example too. We just did a sales team. Uh, it's some of the best content we've ever gotten. Some of the most authentic and transparent. We have a full, a full on like video clip where one of the reps is talking in detail about compensation. It's incredible. It is like dollar amounts, how many reps are hitting quota, all this kind of stuff. We're blown away by it. We have to take it down because, Why? uh, because the company said that, um, legal, like won't allow for it. And like, that's, a, that's out of our control. And we want to push back and be like, trust us, this is incredible stuff, but sometimes legal gets in the way, you know? So like we have barriers, but like, but we did create it. They didn't answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. I think people want that content because oh my God, that's so a big good. theme on LinkedIn. And it has been for quite a while now where everybody's shouting as loud as they possibly can about the fact that they want to know about compensation um, at the outset of any conversation they're going to have with a client or a potential employer. Right. Yeah, I know. And it's hard, you know, like as the, uh, you know, as like the creative team behind it, which is us is like, you know, we're, we're still, there, there's some things we can't, <laughs> we can't work on. We have to, right. Yeah. But, but I, but I mean, I think that was a really, that was a really um, smart question that you asked about, like, is it our job to make companies look good? And it's like, I don't think it's not our job to make them look good. We just put them in the right environments to help them tell the right stories. And from there, the rest takes care of itself. And I think that's our, that's actually our job. Yeah. So what, what kind of outcomes have you been seeing from this and how do you sort of answer the question 
when somebody, when a potential client says to you, you know, how successful have these campaigns been on behalf of your other customers? How do you sort of evidence that? Yeah, I know it's hard because it's content, right? And like, what's the ROI of content? Like, it's like the real answer is like, well, how good are you at distributing content? <laughs> then you can tell me the ROI. Um, but, you know, like we've seen, like we, we've done enough, enough tracking to know that when recruiters, the, the biggest use case, the reason we created these paid, these landing pages in the first place is, uh, is we wanted to give recruiters the best single best link or big single best piece of content that they could send outbound to candidates. That was the, yep. that was, that was the use case. Um, look inside the box. Yep. Yeah. It's like, you know, include this in your outbound messages. You're going to get better response rates. Right. And, and you know, they get like recruiters when they use it, they get like two to three X better response rates. That's like what our data has shown. That's what our, so that's your value proposition. I can get your recruiters two to three times response rates, which is great in this market because I think response rates are down across the board because everyone's inbox is overflowing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, that's the biggest value prop um, that we have. But then, you know, from there, it's like, it's, it, it, it's so qualitative. You know, every time I say that, I feel like I'm like, it sounds like I'm dodging the question, but it is, it's like, uh, you know, we work with our customers to help them with distribution ideas and like, tell them like where to put the content and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it's just like, you know, it's just like what we hear. It's just like the testimonials that are like, you know, candidates, when they come in, they're just better informed. Screening calls are better. They're faster. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. And like the use cases now vary from like outbound to social media, to use in onboarding, to use at different places in the interview process. It's just like, it's a whole bunch of information that is, uh, that is applicable to like a candidate at any point from like kind of start to finish. So it kind of varies, but, uh, overall we've, we've been told a lot that it just makes the process a lot smoother and people just feel way more informed. And do you sort of like, when you land a new client, do you sort of synchronize with their existing marketing people or do you sort of sit at odds to them because they're doing this sort of all this above the line stuff and what you're doing essentially is very much below the line, isn't it? It is. Yeah. We, we intentionally try to fly under the radar. Um, and most of the time we do, uh, the reason for that is because the moment that we get caught up in any kind of conversation that is about brand alignment and design and anything like that, suddenly we're like in like a whole different thing that is going to like, it's just going to take way too long and it's out of scope. Our, our whole thing is like, it is like, let's create a landing page that has very specific information that we, we sourced, we designed the landing page after many, many UX interviews with senior level engineers and senior level salespeople who told us, this is what I would want on a, on a landing page if it was sent to me from a recruiter. We know, we know what content goes in there and what we, we need to do it fast and scrappy and frankly cheap. It's like, it's very inexpensive in the world of creative work. Um, and that's our whole thing is like, how can we get a, get a recruiting team, really good content for a fraction of the cost that they would spend with like a regular agency in a very short period of time. And, uh, so, so that's like why we, we like intentionally like fly under the radar. So we don't have to deal with a lot of times marketing or branding or any of those. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like your audience is, is my audience. You're basically looking to appeal to recruiters 
arbitration horse for your service. Because if you create an army of advocates through the content that you're producing, we'll get onto that in a moment. Um, they can then take it to their sort of team leads and uh, uh, the people that they report to and say, look, we want to generate two or three times more response rates. Can you please have a look at before you apply? It sounds to me like recruiters really are your audience and your advocates, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yes, recruiting teams, they're, that, they're our buyers. That's like, that's most of the time who pays us. And, and exactly what you just said, that's how, that's how it works a lot of the time, because like, you know, we, our, our, our business is like, it's all word of mouth. It's a hundred percent. It's grown hundred percent organically. Um, and when we ask like, how did you hear about us? So often it's, I'm talking to a head of talent who says, Oh, one of my recruiters told me that I should look at it. It looks cool. So like, tell me that's right. That's right. And what you should probably do is to see if you can find like a podcast who has thousands and thousands of downloads every month by recruiters. Yeah. Do, do, do you see where I'm coming from? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Because if you sponsored that podcast, who knows what would happen next? Oh, anyway. yes, 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 ah. yes. We should talk about that. Uh, yes, indeed. Indeed. Let's talk about content for a little bit as well, because you are a prolific content producer and you, you actually have your own podcast, don't you? I do. I do. I do it with Nathan Jefferson. The Content Recruiter Podcast of all things. Yeah. 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 And you just it, talk about content. I mean, give us, you know, this conversation has been, been very interesting so far, but just give us a few of your sort of like observations about, first of all, why do recruiters need to be producing and distributing content? And, and let's talk a little bit about, you know, the type of content that works and, and maybe the stuff that doesn't. Okay. Sounds good. Um, yeah. So let's see, about three years ago, uh, here, I think this is important. Um, this like little backstory. Um because one of the, I think one of the things people can, are concerned with is, okay, I want to do this. I want to start posting. Let's just say I want to start posting on LinkedIn, but uh, I don't have the time to do it, you know, or I don't know what to talk about, or I don't know if I'm going to, if, if people in my company are going to care, that kind of a thing. The way that it happened with me was like, I was, I was part of an agency. Uh, we were we were like having a little three day retreat and we were talking about marketing. We had never done any kind of formal marketing. And I, uh, I kind of like raised my hand and I said, I think we should do, I think we should pay attention to LinkedIn organic. And I think we should start there. It's like our audience is there. Um, and I wanted one, I wanted a co-founder of the, of the agency to do it. Um, and she didn't want to do it. And so I said, all right, well, what do you think if I do it? And everybody was like, okay, that sounds cool. And I was like, all right. And I'm not kidding. This is a, this is a true story. I'm not even like exaggerating it. I, I said, all right. So here's a couple of things because it's a creative agency that I was part of. The, everybody on the team is extremely, extremely talented writers. Um, I said, okay, I don't want anybody policing my work. Um, I'm going to post some things that you might agree with. I'm going to post some things that you might not agree with, but you need to just give me full autonomy. And then I also told them in the unlikely event that this takes off, you need to know that a lot of the brand power or brand recognition will fall on me and that it might be really hard for you to fire me if you ever want to. Because you I told them that I did. I told everybody that it, it, it worked out well because everybody was like, they're like, wow, we never thought about that. We're cool with it. Go for it. Good. 
So we decided, because I saw this, I, I, you know who I first saw that with was with Dave Gerhardt. If you, I don't know if you know Dave Gerhardt, but Dave Gerhardt was at, he, he's actually at Drift now. He was at Drift at the time. I knew Drift because of Dave Gerhardt. He was their, he was their head of marketing. There wasn't Drift. There was only Dave Gerhardt to me. And I realized the amount of brand equity that that guy had with his company, it was just like incredible, you know? Oh, so he was patient zero. Yeah. It was just like unbelievable. So I'm like, wow. Okay. So it, it'd be really hard to fire Dave, <laughs> you know, if you were drift. And, um, but, but, uh, you know, so we ran it as a six week experiment. So I had, so what I did was I got buy-in from everybody. I got them to give me autonomy. So, which means that nobody saw what I was doing as a waste of time, because it's really easy to feel like, ah, oh, you're playing around on LinkedIn or, you know, cause there's a process. It's not just like posting, you know, there's like, interacting and building an audience and all this kind of stuff that goes into it. I didn't want anybody to think that I was just on there like, like screwing around, like not doing my job. That's that's one of the biggest problems with the whole idea of content creation is that, you know, recruiters are so driven by metrics. It's, it's it's hard to frame the ROI um, to leaders, you know, who are looking for, you know, activity and and placements and immediate results, et cetera. Yeah. So, so then, so I, uh, so I had everybody like, you know, was on board. They didn't think I was going to be wasting my time. And we, and we decided we're going to run this as a six week experiment. We're going to see what happens. Um, we didn't really know what, like what happens means. It was going to be more just like me kind of like reporting back. Well, it, it took off, my stuff took off pretty fast and we saw that there was definitely something there. So what we ended up doing over time was we ended up putting more more and more resources into me posting on LinkedIn, you know, like first I, I, then I, next thing I did was I started doing video. We outsourced video to, uh, to a videographer. Then we brought it in house. Then I kind of had, so I had like my own little budget and then I created my newsletter and then like, it just like, it kept going and everybody at the company just became more and more bought in. And we had to figure out a way to like, turn this into like productivity, like a measurement. And what we realized was I was having so many conversations that the idea of me having a productive, quote unquote, productive conversation was so valuable to the company. We figured out like, I think it was like five or six different ways to measure what productive meant. But um, we started measuring this in like how many productive conversations a week is Nate having? (laughs) It's basically like, how many people am I talking to? Because people, like, I would just have conversations with people and we'd like jam on like employer branding or people would ask me my opinions about stuff, whatever. And a lot of times it would, it would just turn into business, but I was never selling anything. Right. It was, it was just like, what do you do? But you could show a dotted line between your content, your conversations and ultimately money coming in the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so, but we, we just knew that like productive conversations produced really good outcomes uh, for brand, for bit, for sales, for whatever, you know? So we just measured productive conversations. And then like now it's to the point where, where it's our channel. It's like, it is our, you know, it's like word of mouth, re- returning customers and LinkedIn. It's interesting that you say that because I've always thought, and this is a little esoteric, but I've always thought that meaningful conversations between recruiters and candidates should be a metric. But it's just, it's not actually a metric at all. It's, it's all about, you know, how many submissions did you make or how many people did you reach out to? But for me, 
I think the most important metric is how many meaningful conversations did you have this week? And, and you know, if you didn't have as many as you wanted to, let, let's work back from that and figure out how to do a better job next week. But, but that to me is a much better way of, of, of asking a question than just, you know, the how many question. Yeah. Well, especially when you're dealing with candidates who like don't actually apply for jobs, right? I mean, if right. You're, which is the funny thing is because you're, you're actually, you're not even optimizing for an apply, you're optimizing for a conversation. So why aren't you measuring productive conversations? And a productive conversation has different outcomes. It doesn't mean that somebody buys a thing. No, I mean, it's a, it's a longer tailed exercise, isn't it? But it means you've got another friend in the marketplace. Yes, And that's exactly. what I'm always asking recruiters to do is to reframe or, or their mindset going into a call is don't think about selling a role to this person. Think about creating a relationship. Think about making a friend. And then, you know, if it makes sense, share the role, but make friends first because the, the long-term benefit of making friends in your market, especially if you're a niche recruiter, it's going to pay off in all sorts of different ways down the road if you do the job right up front. It does. It's like the amount of times I can't tell you that, that somebody, I, you know, I, I talked to somebody, they were at one company and we had a great conversation or whatever. They follow me on LinkedIn or like, you know, we have periodic chats and now they're at a different company and they're like, Hey, I finally, I finally have like budget or I finally have alignment or I find, you know, I'm finally in the right place. Like we should work together. Like, and that'll be like 14 months down the road. You know, but I, I, it was great. It was, it was awesome. It allowed me to just like focus and everybody was aligned on like what I was doing. It totally, it completely changed my entire role and like the way that I even like think about sales and marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So you must've learned a lot about doing it right and doing it wrong. And so how do you do it right? What's, what's the Nate Guzier way of creating meaningful content that resonates with an audience who want to join the conversation? Yeah. So, so I learned, <clears throat> I learned after a while that, uh, the only way for me to do this is I had to do it for me and not care about anybody else. It's very hard. It's very hard to not care about engagement because it engagement, like we all know this now engagement taps into like that thing in us that makes us feel like worth something or liked or, or it'll have the opposite effect. But I love the creative process and honestly, it's the, re it's, it's what has allowed me to, to sustain this for three years is because I do it for myself. I love the writing process. I love, I just like, I, it's a labor of love for me. And so, and I, so I do it and I post, and sometimes I post things that are purely for me. Like I just, I know that they might not get a lot of engagement, but it's something I think about. I just did this yesterday actually. And, um, so that's what it is. Is like I do it for me, and it's a it's a thought exercise, and it allows me to articulate the things that are bouncing around in my brain. Um, yeah, that's that's it. And I, th like I think the reason you sort of touched on there, perhaps one of the main reasons people don't do it, because I'm doing it a lot more regularly now. But it is it's kind of crushingly disappointing when you put together what you think is a really meaningful oh. post, and then you get very little engagement. Um, when last week you did something which perhaps you didn't think was quite as good and just got an incredible amount of engagement. And so I think a lot of people, you know, they do post a couple of times and then they don't get the engagement they're looking for. And it sort of makes them feel like they shouldn't be doing that. Um, and, you know, they run out of ideas. And also a lot of people just don't want to stick their head above the parapet, you know, for fear of getting it shot off. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I know, you know, James, James Hornick, but uh, 
James I love and his I, content. Yeah. 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 Uh, James and I joke sometimes that like our, like our individual, like the, the posts that we love most get the least amount of engagement. Um, but, but the reason for that is, is because it's speaking to, oftentimes it's speaking to a much narrower audience, which I argue is a better approach. And also there's a rule, uh, I don't know, like the hard science behind it, but it's something like this, like 99, one rule when it comes to social media, where it's like 90% of users either aren't like daily active users or they're lurkers. Um, and there are so many people that see content that never engage once. Uh, I've had inbound leads schedule with me, get on a call with them. They go, I've been following your content for two years. And that person I just know, like has never engaged with me. Um, it's they just never people- liked or commented on your stuff. No, 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 no. I've never interacted with them. Like, you know, whatever. But it's just like, you know, and so it's okay. Lack of engagement isn't a sign that the content is bad. It just means that you're, you're probably speaking to a very specific audience, which is great. Um, and also that a lot of people are seeing this who just aren't engaging with it. And it's not a reason to not do it. Right. So you think people perhaps are spending too much time sort of chasing the algorithm. Oh, for sure. Than- and it's so broad, so broad in general and meaningless. It's like, I don't, it's, like a popularity contest doesn't make me want to work with somebody. Um, But if they speak, if they're speaking directly to me or I know they're smart, that does. Yeah. And and therein lies the challenge, right? As a content creator, you've got to sort of like find the fine line between what some people might call fortune cookie wisdom. um, And at a real point that you want to make to an audience that's going to think that's somebody that I need to follow and engage with and potentially even, you know, buy from in the future, because you've you've got to speak to the people. Ultimately, there's no point in doing this. Well, well, maybe there is. Maybe some people just enjoy just posting for fun and and, and getting engagement in the same way as they do on Instagram or Facebook. Um, But I think content, the kind of content creation that we're talking about, um, has a more specific purpose to it because it's, it's out there to engage with a specific audience and then ultimately potentially drive, drive an outcome, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it will drive an outcome. I mean, because it, you will, you know, you'll, you'll become, if you do it consistently, uh, you will become known as somebody who, who has like a unique thought or opinion or perspective in your little corner of the of the world, you know, or of the universe. And when people want to learn more or know more or, or they need that thing, they're going to think of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. That happens to me, uh, you know, more and more these days as well, because podcast is almost two years old. I do get many thousands of downloads a month now. And also, um, I'm about to record my hundredth episode next week. Oh, that's incredible. Pretty big, big milestone. Thanks Nate for coming along the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. And obviously we're going to stay in touch and speak again soon. And um, thanks a lot, mate. All right. I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Cheers.